All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. As I tell everybody, motto of the society is, you know, what you don't know can eat you, and it's true. That's true. That's good. I like that. <laughs> you know, put that on your headstone someday. 100%, yep. <laughs> so after we recorded this interview, I had to watch The Last of Us. Oh, you did? What'd you think? you like it? I loved it. But that third episode, oh, man, I was crying all morning, and my mom was like, getting kind of concerned it was very powerful tv it really, yeah. I, I, I won't lie there were some tears shed at the rogers house mm-hmm. as well and that by the way is lauren lauren's one of our producers here on something offbeat i'm your host mike rogers so what do you think lauren do you want to do an episode on this zombie ant fungus i do and i i've actually wanted to do an episode about this since before i watched the show my managing editor assigned me to write an article about it, and I, I thought it couldn't be real. And then, you know, I started researching it for her, and I found multiple articles about this zombie ant fungus, including a 2011 paper and one from 2020 in the Nature Journal. It can take over the bodies of ants, and even after they've died, the fungus can make them climb and have convulsions like a classic movie zombie. And and this is the same one they wrote into The Last of Us, the video game, which is now the uh, hit TV show adaptation on HBO. It's really pretty creepy stuff. So we wanted to learn more about this. So we reached out to Cameron Carlson at the Zombie Research Society. Yes, that's actually a thing. Yes, and it's been around for about 16 years now. And yeah, they got us connected with Dr. Cameron Carlson of the U.S. Navy. He is a survival expert at the society. That's always something handy to have around. How did you get into this, though? How did this all start for you? So it really started uh, when I was actually in graduate school working on my master's degree. What I wanted to do was I wanted to take the worst case scenario and I wanted to put it in to play because nobody, nobody was really concerned about responding to a, a disaster. So I said, what's the worst case scenario? Zombies. Zombies are the worst case scenario. And how soon he met some others who were working to create the group he now leads with Luke Boyd. This is kind of a fun topic, especially, you know, with the show, The Last of Us, which I assume you're watching. Oh, religiously. And I also, I'm a huge fan of, of the game Last of Us. Uh, so it's been really, really fun to see how the game translates into the, into the show. And so far, they're bang on. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this nasty fungus. Uh, am I pronouncing it correctly? Ophiocordyceps unilateralis? Yep, that's right. Wow. First try. I know. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. How does this fungus work here? Okay, so you know, I, obviously I'm not a mycologist by any means, but so look at it this way. Most funguses or in some cases, some funguses are parasitic, right? You need a host and you need the parasite to actually infect the host. And what it's basically done is in the rainforest of Thailand, you know, certain other rainforests, you think about what insects are in the rainforest. Well, 70% of it are ants, like 70% of the insects are ants. And 
the basically the virus or the virus the fungus basically sits approximately about 25 centimeters uh, off the forest floor and it basically will protrude from i'll get into it in a second but it'll protrude from an already infected ant uh, after days or weeks and then basically release its spores onto the ant When I was researching for this article, I, of course, had to look up photos. And right there in Getty Images, you can see these ants with what looks like mushrooms, like, growing out of their heads. Did you see those, Mike? Do you have I, any I, thoughts? I did. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the stuff of nightmares. Frankly, they were horrifying. Although, I have to tell you, no less horrifying than the special effects mm. in the show. All those infected people with, you're right, mushroom-looking things growing out of their face. Now, it's the ants are a very specific type of ant. They're basically a carpenter ant called uh, Campanotus leonardi. And they basically live really high up in the canopies of these rainforests. But when their leaves don't bridge the gap between, let's say, you know, what you consider an ant highway in the canopy, they actually have to come down from their canopy, down the trees, onto the forest floor, and then up the other side. And that's where cordyceps likes to sit, approximately 25 centimeters where the ants are crossing. So basically what happens is those spores are released from uh, the cordyceps fungus. And it's interesting because studies have shown that it actually doesn't take over the ant's brain. It actually takes over the ant's muscle structures and forces it to do what it wants that way. So it is forcing it to do something that it doesn't normally do. And then it forces it basically to climb to the highest point on the leaf. And in many cases, 99% of the cases, you'll see the leaf that the ant is sitting on, the ant has now bitten into the vein, the main vein of the leaf, and basically will die there. And so after a few days and a week, the fungus will continue to propagate itself inside, then the ant will, well, the ant will die, and then the fungus will then basically break through the ant's exoskeleton and begin dropping spores, and the life cycle perpetuates itself. Until the ants die, what does it do to the behavior of the ant, the infected ones? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because in the ant world, I guess you could call it, what ants do is they're very, they're very smart. Ants know when a member of their colony is infected with a disease or is infected with some type of virus that could harm you know, the, the entire ant colony. But what's interesting about cordyceps is that it doesn't. It can make it past that, those defenses. And what you'll see is it doesn't affect the ant's behavior for approximately I don't know, one to two days normally. But after that, the ant will then separate itself from the colony. And then that's where it goes in and that's where it starts to try and find a leaf that's approximately 25 centimeters off the ground. And I, and I say 25 centimeters because that's a very important, that's a very important detail because that's, that right there in the, in the rainforest is approximately, you know, 80 to 90% humidity. It's approximately, it's a 25 centimeter up and it has a lot less sunlight. So that's where cordyceps likes to live. So after a few days, it will actually force the ant away from its colony to find one of those spots and cause it to latch on and just die. It's just incredible to hear you use the phrase, you know, it forces the ant to do this and that. It's like the, the cordyceps is the master and it has just taken over the ant and makes it do its will. It does. And it, it's interesting because parasites are very good at altering behavior of their hosts, whether that be from a muscular standpoint or from a a brain standpoint, because cordyceps doesn't just affect ants, it can affect other insects such as butterflies, beetles, uh, and things of that nature. It just depends on what gets caught in those spores. Those ants are going to realize something's wrong, kill it, 
and then drag it off someplace where it can't perpetuate the life cycle. So it becomes, it's a very docile, it's very passive, but it's very aggressive to the ant because obviously it's taking over the ant, but that's the only thing it does. It doesn't get involved. It doesn't make the ant aggressive towards anything else. It doesn't have anything to do with that because it has to perpetuate its life. And that's actually a big distinction between fact and fiction. Lauren, now that you've watched the show, you know that the fictional cordyceps makes infected people highly aggressive. In fact, the main way people get infected seems to be bites from other humans. Yeah, it is not pretty to watch on the show. So this part of the interview I found actually pretty comforting. Um, But the fact that this fungus exists at all still makes me uneasy. And it should. So this is something that's kind of been added to this particular version, uh, but humans have added this element to it. But it, I mean, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, this cordyceps, which they're talking about in the show repeatedly. I mean, this really exists. It's out there. Yeah, it is. And one of the things that I love, and when people ask all the time, you know, could this become a real thing? Well, the answer to the question is absolutely. Like, it absolutely has the potential now, is it, going, is it going to happen? I mean, that's a very, very small potential. But as, as I like to quote my boy Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, nature will find a way. And that's exactly what evolution does. Like, if you watch the show and the, and the game, they say that cordyceps found a perfect medium to mutate into the bread yeast, into the cereal grain, into all that. And it was a perfect breeding ground for it to mutate. So... You know, yeah, it's absolutely possible. And we've all had our own experience with a pathogen that can mutate fast. That, of course, COVID-19. Yeah, and, and really, if you think about what evolution of even viruses do, right, one of two things can happen with viruses. If you force a virus into a situation, like let's just take COVID-19, for example, right? It ran rampant for, you know, the, the entire year of 2020. You know, it decided that, okay, now that, quote unquote, they're on to me and we came up with vaccines, what does it immediately do? If you force a virus into a spot that it's either going to A, die or B, mutate in order to survive. And that's exactly what it did. It mutated into a different strain and then continued to, and continued to spread. What, in your opinion, is the chance that this could happen with, with cordyceps, that it could evolve and that it could begin infecting humans? Or is this like a, I mean, a, is it a long shot? Is it a 50-50 thing? Yeah, it's a long shot because nobody, it's not being threatened. Like its environment's not being threatened. We're not seeing any reason for something like that to all of a sudden change its pattern of behavior. I would be more worried about other rather than the cordyceps fungus fungus is a really fun concept, but unless there's a massive change in the structure of the fungus, then I wouldn't really be too worried about it. Aside from the uh, the cordyceps, this zombie ant fungus, what are some other pathogens out there with the potential to create these symptoms? There's got to be more. Yeah, so you've got a bunch of different um, like parasitic compounds. Remember, most of the parasites that we talk about are basically fungi. So for instance, you've got uh, lugochloridium, which is a parasitic worm that attacks snails' eye stalks, and they actually make them pulsate. They actually come out of their uh, snail's head, and they pulsate, and those pulsations actually mimic a caterpillar. And so a bird will come down and eat the eye stalks of the snail. Then the worm will actually breed inside the, the bird, and then it'll basically release spores in the bird's droppings. So that's one. Here's the fun part. Mammals, basically mice, uh, cats, 
have something called toxoplasmia gondii uh, or toxoplasmosis, if you really want to talk about it. And basically, it compels mice to actually walk to their own death. It basically attracts them to cat urine. And toxoplasmosis is actually cur- are carried in the feces of infected felines. So what does that mean for us? Well, that means that we can contract it through uh, cat feces. If someone has a cat, we can also contract toxoplasmosis through eating contaminated undercooked meat. Our other producer, Chris, he told me that you're more of a dog person than a cat person. Is that true? We're partially true. I am a dog person myself, although we've always had at least one cat in the house as well. And you know what dogs will do when they're around a litter box. So it's actually kind of amazing that none of the dogs we've had have been zombified. That is amazing. I'm allergic to cats, so I am uh, luckily kind of immune to Oh, well, this. you're in great shape then. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a study right now that says that one third of the population is already considered to be infected by toxoplasmosis. We just don't know it, and it lays dormant, and it could lay dormant for our entire lives. What does that mean? That sounds terrifying, but in all, in all actuality, what that does is it can reduce our reaction time, probably by 50%. You know, one of my theories about zombies is they've been present in pop culture for almost 100 years. You go back to the old Bela Lugosi movies in the 30s, and, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're, they're popular. Their appeal is enduring, and I think one of the reasons why, my theory is that it's because it makes people think, what would I do if this yeah. were really happening? It's like shows like The Walking Dead and The Last of mm-hmm. Us. There's this apocalyptic event and a plague wipes out everyone and zombies marauding. You're the survival expert for the Zombie Research Society. Yeah. What should people be doing? It's probably not going to happen, but it could. Exactly. And, and you know what? It's funny when people, people ask me that all the time and they expect some very profound answer. But in all actuality, what people need to be doing is reading, reading how to you know, survive in certain environments like in the woods. Because everyone says, well, I'm going to go to the woods. And OK, cool. Like, do you know how to survive in the woods? Do you know how to find food? Do you know all this other stuff like how to build a fire? Well, no, but it's the woods. OK, well, you're going to die. <laughs> you need to learn how to do these things before you can actually do them. That's always good advice. You know, Bill and Frank did a lot of reading on The Last of Us. Oh, be careful, Mike. Don't start again. I'm going to be crying. Those are the people that at first you look at you going, hmm, are you really going to need all that? Yes, you do. Um, And that kind of stuff that he was doing, that's the kind of stuff that I I would say start researching that kind of stuff. Start reading about it. I'm Mike Rogers. Thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake, with audio editing by Chris Blake, original music by Myron Kaplan, and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now to keep listening, please subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, we'd love to hear about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.